0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're figuring out our personal style, learning dopamine hacks for more motivation and pleasure, or asking a functional psychiatrist for all of her anxiety-busting tips. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. This is a very special episode of the podcast. Every year for my birthday, I like to do an Instagram post of X things that I learned in X years. And while I absolutely love doing it, and you guys seem to love it too, last year's post got like 50,000 likes and even more saves. So that's wild. But it never feels like enough room to fully dive into all the lessons and changes and products and hacks. So this year, I decided to turn it into a podcast episode. I'm going to be sharing 36 of the biggest things that I've learned during the last 36 years, everything from hair and skincare tips to gut health hacks to mindset shifts, all things that I truly use and have seen big changes from in my own personal life. I also feel like people always ask me for my biggest takeaways and learnings from podcast episodes like what am I actually trying and sticking with myself. And while not all of these are from the podcast, this definitely serves as that as well. I hope you love this episode and are inspired to try a few things in your own life. If you want to see all of the lessons written out, head over to Instagram, and if you want to easily find any of the other podcast episodes that I mention, I will link them in the show notes. If you love this episode or take anything away from it, I would so appreciate if you'd share it with a friend or family member or on your social. I tried to pack truly as much value as possible into this one, and it would also be the best birthday gift. This community has grown so much over the last year, and it's 100% because of all of you spreading the word, and I am just, ugh, I am so, so grateful. I would also love to hear anything that's resonating with you, so screenshot and tag me on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody. This episode is also proudly sponsored by Seed. When I decided to make this birthday episode, I wanted to just bring on one really special sponsor, and the first company I thought of and reached out to was Seed. I've worked with them for literally years now, and I massively believe in their products. Their DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic has changed my life, and the episode with their co-founder, Eric Katz, actually shifted my perspective on the function of the microbiome so much that it made my birthday list this year. It is such an honor and privilege to share companies that are making a profound difference in people's health and lives, so I wanted to thank Seed for sponsoring this episode. If you would like to try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic for yourself, and trust me, you do. It's basically a multivitamin for your microbiome, which helps control everything from your skin health to your mental health to your immune health to, of course, your gut health. Use code LizMoody20 at Seed.com to get 20% off your order. This is a special code that they gave me just for my birthday because they know the way to my heart and they know I like special things on my birthday. And it's the biggest discount that I've seen on Seed anywhere. So if you've been thinking about trying it, now is the time. Again, that's lizmoody20 at seed.com. Now, let's get right into 36 lessons I've learned in 36 years. I am so excited to just get right into this. So number one, eating a small salad before a meal is one of the easiest ways to make it more blood sugar friendly. This one came out of the Glucose Goddess episode of the podcast. It's one of the hacks from that episode that I've personally been able to stick with the most. So the idea is that you eat a vegetable before you eat the rest of your meal and something about the way that that stacks in your digestive system slows the absorption of glucose into your bloodstream, which helps mitigate that spike and crash that can cause all of these downstream issues. If you want more specific information about that, I highly recommend listening to the glucose goddess episode of the podcast. Also, I would say from that episode, the other things that I still do to this day is one, if you want something sweet, instead of eating it throughout the day, I've been really obsessed with mochi right now. And instead of being like, oh, it's 2 p.m., I'm going to go have a mochi, you have it after a meal. So you already have that fat, that fiber, that protein in your stomach. And then when you eat the sweet thing later, you mitigate a lot of the negative blood sugar responses. Obviously, another way to do that is kind of my approach to desserts when I develop recipes, which is to include healthy fat, fiber, and protein in the recipe itself. And I will do that as well when I'm craving something sweet in the middle of the day, I will move it to after a meal instead of having it whenever I'm craving it. It's really nice because you're not taking anything off the table, but you're making it better for your body without depriving yourself of anything, which I really, really, really like. And then Zach and I do the apple cider vinegar before, I would say not all of our meals, but we will do it especially if we're going to eat like a pasta or something like that. I'll just pour a little bit of apple cider vinegar into water. I'll drink it down and then I'll eat whatever I was going to eat anyway. It's one of my favorite things about that episode. It's really not about cutting things out or really dogmatic concrete. You can't have this, anything like that. It's more like, here's little things that you can add in that will make everything a little bit better for your body. So big fan of that. And the small salad before a meal, I just make my signature salad. So I'll take any type of greens and I will salt those greens and then I will microplane on some lemon zest and some garlic and then squeeze the lemon juice on it and I will drizzle it with some olive oil and toss it. It's my go-to salad. It takes no time to make. You don't have to like make a proper dressing or anything like that. And it's so perfect with a frozen pizza. There's so many nights you just don't want to make a meal and you can get this little bit of fresh produce in really quickly, really easily. And it also makes it more blood sugar friendly. I also love this one for eating out. So if there's any vegetable on the menu, you can just order that, eat that first and then eat the rest of your meal. Again, it's not about deprivation. It's just about adding stuff in, which I love. So that's one of my favorite hacks. Number two, one of the best hacks for doing hard things is tying them to things you love. For example, listening to your favorite podcast only during your workouts is the best incentive to actually do them. This has changed my life. This is from the Katie Milkman episode of the podcast. I don't know why I used to think that if I was doing a workout, I had to listen to everything the instructor said, and I would get kind of bored, no offense to any of the instructors that I really, really love for my online workout classes. But when I started being like, oh, I can listen to my favorite podcast while I do this workout, I would get excited to do the workouts and I need any motivation I can get. So I save my favorite podcast. That's a big thing that Katie says in the episode. You don't want to give yourself permission to listen to them other times. You want to really have that incentive to listen to them when you're doing that hard thing. So I save my favorite podcast for my workouts. I'm currently doing a 20 to 30 minute workout every weekday morning. So I either do Obey or I do Megan Roops, The Sculpt Society, and then I take the weekends off. Usually I'll still do something active during the weekends. I'll go for a hike, I'll go for walks, I'll stand a paddleboard or something like that. But I find that not waking up and doing a workout on the weekend mornings makes it feel more like a weekend. It differentiates the days in my mind. It signals my body and my brain that this is time to relax. And I've been really, really enjoying that. And the reason I started working out every day in the first place was just to avoid decision fatigue, to avoid that feeling where you wake up every day and you're like, is today a workout day? Is today not a workout day? And I still have that because I'm working out every single weekday. So I wake up, I cirque walk, I brush my teeth, I drink a ton of water, and then I do 20 to 30 minutes of a workout. And I listen to my favorite podcast and it's made it so much easier. I'm not naturally a person who feels motivated to work out. That episode is amazing, by the way. Katie Milkman is a behavioral scientist who basically studies how we can make the changes that we want to make in our life. So it can apply to any parts of our life. It's here's how you can create the habits you want to have. Here's how you can save money. Here's how you can start working out. If that's your goal, it's basically whatever your goals are. Here's how you can use behavioral science to achieve them. So I highly recommend that episode. Okay. Number three, according to research, we almost always regret not taking a risk more than taking it. Act accordingly. This stat blew my mind. It's from the Dan Pink episode of the podcast, and it's really changed how I approach things in my life. It just switches your bias in favor of action. So when I'm thinking like, oh, should I take this career leap? Should I go for this thing? Should I move here? Should I do all these things? I have that slight bias towards we regret not taking the risk versus taking the risk. And I think there's so many instances in our life that that's applicable to. Obviously... It's not 100% universal, but just having that slight bias, that slight tip in the direction towards taking the risk, I think has already helped me live a better, bolder, more exciting, more expansive life. Whenever you're making any decision, just have that little niggling voice in the back of your head say, taking the risk statistically is almost always going to be the thing that you regret less. Number four, just because everyone else is buying a house or having a baby doesn't mean it's the right thing right now for you. Timelines are largely fake. The only life that you can or should live is your own. Oh my gosh, is this a lesson that Zach and I have learned this year? I feel like this year, suddenly I woke up and everybody in my friend group was pregnant or having babies and people were buying houses and... Almost without realizing it, Zach and I slipped into this mindset of being like, oh, I guess we should do that too. And I remember we were sitting around the house and we were kind of thinking like, well, how are we going to fit in all of the stuff that we want to do before we have a baby? And it was so funny how insidious that thought is, even for people who feel very self-aware. And I live my life very intentionally, but you can just get caught up in this momentum of feeling like you're behind in life. If you're not keeping the same timeline as everybody else. And then we just had this moment where we were like, wait, are these the things that we want right now? Is this the shape we want our life to take right now? And it wasn't. I've talked about this on here before, but I think we are leaning in the direction of having a kid, but not right now. And I feel really good about that decision. And then the whole buying a house thing I don't know if you were following on Instagram, but Zach and I basically had this whole thing where we were trying to buy a house in the Bay Area, and it was so expensive, and it was causing all these fights. And I think that the thing that people don't talk about about buying a house is that it brings up all of these very deep-rooted issues. You're talking about your hopes and your dreams and your visions for the future and your finances, and it just stirs up all of this shit. It's not a fun process. But more importantly than that, it's also not the only thing Thing you should do with your money. I think the episode with Ramit made me feel so much better about that. It was just the idea that buying a house isn't the only way to build wealth, and it also made me question: Is buying a house something I actually want? Do I want to commit myself that wholeheartedly to one single place? Do I want to deal with maintenance? Do I want to worry about oh, if there's something that I don't like about this neighborhood? If there's a plane that flies by every day, is that going to make my anxiety so much worse. And giving myself permission to be like, the only way to adult isn't by buying a house right now. The only way to adult right now isn't by having a kid right now. There is no such thing as a timeline for these things. Obviously, there are biological timelines. I'm not living with my head in the sand. I actually took a fertility test and that made me feel significantly better. You need to do what's right for you depending on your goals and what you want for your life. But social timelines, I think, take up so much space in our brains and they're just not real. We are racing toward a finish line that doesn't exist. Like, What is the finish line? Just the end of our lives, which is so grim and so morbid to say. But I feel like I've spent so much of my life... Rushing when I was in high school, I wanted to like dress up older, and I was so happy when people thought I looked older and they, it was the biggest compliment when I was younger to be like, "Oh, you look older and then when I was in college, all I wanted to do was graduate and get a job and live out on my own as a grown up and then when Zach and I were dating, all I wanted was for him to propose and I just feel like if we're just rushing and rushing and rushing to the next step, we never appreciate the step that we're in. We never appreciate. The moment that we're actually living and it feels like a really crappy way to live. It feels like the way that you live where you wake up in 20 years and you're like, oh my gosh, where has my life gone? And I felt myself sort of slipping into that and slipping into that mindset of, oh, if it's right for that person, then it's something I should be doing. And catching myself in that, and Zach and I both catching ourselves in that, has been one of the most refreshing and freeing things that we have done. And we feel so much more empowered. I just think there's this feeling you get when you feel like you're living your life in the way you want on your timeline that can't be matched. So I would encourage you for – everything you're doing in your life to ask, is this because of what I'm being told to do by society, by a parent, subconsciously by my friends and what they're doing? Or is this something that I actually want to do? And I think that is a very empowering thought experiment. Okay, I love this one. This one has transformed mine and Zach's relationship, which sounds hyperbolic, but it is legitimately true. Okay, one of the best hacks for relationships, make a rule not to bring the past into fights. You'll get caught in the weeds of, you actually said this or I didn't say that versus just expressing what you're feeling and trying to address. Historical data is just us trying to prove our feelings are valid, start with the assumption that all feelings are valid and go from there. This is such a game changer. Zach and I have been together for 14 years, I want to say. And so we have so much history. And often when we would get into fights, it would just be like, well, two months ago this and a year ago this and last week you said this. And then I would be like, I didn't say that. Or Zach would be like, I definitely didn't say that. And we would spend so much time trying to align on a shared reality that we couldn't actually get to the crux of what we were trying to address by having the argument in the first place. And it is true. This is just us trying to prove that the way that I feel in this moment is real, is valid, should be acknowledged. So it is such a game changer to just go into fights and be like, everything you feel is valid. Just tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you want to address. And don't bring the history in. And we've agreed upon this. I think that the best way to do this is to agree upon this as a rule in advance. So then, anytime you're getting into an argument, you can kind of check each other and you can be like, well, that's historical. That's not allowed to be brought in here. And since both parties have agreed upon it before, everybody's like, okay, okay, yeah. So let me just say how I'm feeling right now in this moment. It's let us get so much more done. And The reason that we fight, the reason that we have disagreements, right, is because you have a difference of opinion and you're trying to come to a compromise or a consensus or a way to move forward. And it's allowed us to focus so much more on that path forward than just sitting there like lawyers and being like, well, on September 7th, you said this and I said this. And okay, we are all in agreement that that is the reality of the situation. So I highly, highly recommend it. Number six, if you don't put the things that you value the most, like relationships or self-care on your to-do list or calendar, they'll get lost in favor of things you ostensibly value less. So the idea from this came from the fact that my relationships are truly the most important thing in the world for me. But often I would be like, oh, I can call my friend or I can call my dad after I finish everything on my to-do list, or I can hang out with Zach after I finish everything on my to-do list. But then I would always end up exhausted at the end of the day. I just feel like you can forever fill out your to-do list. Some of the stuff really, really, truly needs to get done. It's timely. It's important. But so much of the stuff on my to-do list, at least, is just stuff that I've told myself that I need to do that day. It's like, send this email. And that email absolutely could be sent tomorrow. But I tell myself it needs to be sent today for me to check off this idea of like, oh, you're super productive. You've accomplished everything you want to accomplish today. But one of the things that I most want to accomplish today, this week, this year in my life are my relationships, are the people that matter to me. And I hated the idea of basically telling myself on a daily basis that they mattered to me less than checking things off of my to-do list. So I've started literally building in times on my calendar to check in with people that I love. And it's such a refreshing break from your day to do a quick 10-minute call with a friend or even just a text exchange with a friend instead of You're between emails, you want a quick break, you pick up the phone, you scroll on social media. It's so much more invigorating to have these moments of connection with other people. And I find that by building them into my calendar or building them into my to-do list, they actually happen. Number seven, just 12 minutes of daily meditation is a research-backed effective dose to improve focus and calm. So this is from the Amishi Jaw episode of the podcast, which has a bunch of different tips and tricks to find your focus throughout the day. If you find yourself feeling really scattered and all over the place and you can't just stick to an activity, I highly recommend that episode. It has a lot of fun hacks. This one was very permission giving for me because I had this idea in my head that meditation needed to be at least 20 minutes to be effective, ideally twice a day. I love TM. That's the type of meditation that I do. I got trained in Vedic meditation, which is basically the same thing. But I will say a downside of it is that it makes you feel like you have to do 20 minutes twice a day to have it be effective. And I think it can be really intimidating to commit to fitting that into your life. So what she and her team did was they kept testing smaller and smaller increments of time and 12 minutes seemed to be that sweet spot for having the most benefits at the smallest possible amount of time. So now I just set a timer for 12 minutes. I find it so much easier to fit in and I think it really does make a difference. I don't do it as part of my morning routine because I've already done so much other stuff and I'm like, okay, like I feel like I need to get to work at this point, but I will fit it in sometime in the afternoon usually when my attention's wandering and it's hard for me to keep being productive and I feel like it wakes me right up and it makes me feel so much more attentive and 12 minutes is so doable. Number eight, monovarietal Greek, Italian, and Spanish olive oils offer the most health bang for your buck. This is from the Dr. William Lee episode of the podcast. He said that they have the highest levels of polyphenols, a lot of hydroxytyrosol, and it's also really easy to do because you're already shopping for olive oil at the grocery store. It has to say where it's from, I believe, on the bottle. I've had good luck with just looking at the grocery store for, it'll say, single variety, first press, cold press, Greek, Italian, or Spanish, and it's kind of fun. It makes it feel like a little bit of a treasure hunt. And you're just like, if I'm already having olive oil, I might as well get the one that's going to have the most health benefits anyway. I feel like the olive oil aisle can be really intimidating and there's so many different kinds. And You're kind of like, which one should I get? So having that little bit of direction, I have found mentally comforting. Like I know which one to choose and that makes me feel better. So monovarietal, Greek, Italian, or Spanish olive oils. Number nine has truly transformed my life. Doing things that are hard or uncomfortable helps balance our dopamine, which makes it easier to find pleasure and motivation in the rest of our lives. This is from the Dr. Anna Lemke, Hack Your Dopamine episode of the podcast, one of the most popular episodes of the year. I'm so glad that you guys all got as much from it as I did. But the way that this has changed my life is that when I'm doing things that don't feel good in the moment, I can feel better about them she used the example in the episode of when you're carrying your groceries in the rain and you're like, oh my gosh, this is hard. This is miserable. You're actually helping to balance your dopamine. You're helping make it easier to experience pleasure and motivation down the line. So when I'm doing things that feel hard, that feel shitty, that feel uncomfortable, I can tell myself this is ultimately going to make it easier for me to motivate myself to do the things that are important to me, to experience pleasure in the things that I love. And that makes it feel better in that moment. And then there's the idea that we can intentionally add in things that are hard. So that's where the whole cold shower notion comes from. Cold showers are amazing for you for so many reasons. They've come up in a number of episodes, including the hormone one. They came up again in the dopamine episode. But the idea there is that that's Hard, that's uncomfortable. It's a concept called hormesis, which is the right amount of things that are harder on your body can actually have a positive effect. So that's where that comes in. And I like doing those hacks too. But for me, the biggest takeaway from this and the thing that just replays over and over in my head is the idea that when I'm doing things that are hard, there's a purpose to them. When I'm going through things that are uncomfortable, there's this silver lining. And I find that really comforting. Number 10, one of the best ways to tamp down jealousy is avoiding the constant exposure that we have to lavish lifestyles. Reality TV and certain social media influencers might seem like fun distractions, but they can subconsciously make a real difference in what we think a good life looks like. This one came from a podcast episode with Jamie Varon, and it was all about self-love and self-care. And I asked her if she had any advice for dealing with jealousy. It's something that I really personally struggle with. And she pointed out that even those things that were like, oh, it's just like my turn off my brain thing that I watch when I want to break from things, these messages seep into our brains and they change our notion of what our lives should look like. So when you're watching Selling Sunset, you're like, everybody lives in these big, crazy houses and has views that overlook the ocean. And when you're watching the Kardashians, you're kind of subliminally seeing like, oh, everybody flies private and wears all these clothes and all of these things. I think there's some people who can really differentiate and maybe just appreciate those shows for what they are. But I think for somebody like me, I already struggle with the feeling of, am I living the best life that I possibly can? I have what I like to call existential anxiety. I want to pack as much amazing life for myself as possible in the short time that we have on the planet and constantly questioning whether... I was putting the bar in the right place or whether I was achieving enough was really getting to my brain. I almost feel like a killjoy when I say it because you're just like, oh, these are like just fun shows. But I just think that they can affect us in ways that we're not even aware of at that moment. So if they're good for you, great. For me, they were. And when I cut them out, it made me able in a different way to feel satisfied with what I have in this moment. And same with social media influencers. I've really cleaned out my feed and the only people on there are people who make me feel really good about myself. And I think there's such a fine line with that mental conversation that we have where we're like, it's aspirational. It's motivating me to be my best self. But Victoria Song talked about this when I had her on the podcast, which is that a mistake that we often make when it comes to manifestation is let's say we're starting at point B and then we look at somebody who's at point Z and we're like, I want to get there and our brain doesn't even accept that as a reality, so we can't make that into our reality. And she suggests instead these incremental steps. If you're at point B, finding somebody who's at point C or point D, so you have these proof points that it's possible for you to get from point B to point C or point B to point D. But if you start at Z, your brain just like, no, no, that's not possible. I can't do it. And I think sometimes we do that with social media influencers We're like if I – follow this person. I will wake up in a different life with a different body and a different partner. And because that's actually not going to be our reality, we just end up feeling like shit about ourselves all the time. So I've cleaned out my feed. I only follow people who genuinely make me feel really good. And the value that they're providing me is possible for me. So that's almost no really rich and famous celebrities because I'm just like, I'm probably not going to be able to buy those clothes or take those vacations or hang out on that yacht. And I don't like being presented with that as the way to live life all the time. It's been really, really helpful for me. Number 11, objects in motion, stay in motion. Objects at rest, stay at rest. One of the best ways to get in motion is to do the smallest possible thing. Send one email, go for a quick walk. Then you are in motion and it's much easier to get everything else done. For me, these are those days that I'm just like laying on the couch and I'm like, Liz, go work out. Liz, go work out. Or Liz, go prepare for that podcast. And I can't bring myself to actually do it. So I'll come up with a teeny tiny baby task I'll make a cup of tea or I'll do five jumping jacks. And then you go and do that teeny tiny thing that seems unintimidating enough that you can actually get yourself up off the couch. And then you're already in motion. You're like, well, I'm already up. I might as well go prep for the podcast. I might as well go work out. It feels like it's too good to be true, but it works. Trust me, try it. Number 12, using washcloths on your face is a type of physical exfoliation that can be damaging to your skin's barrier layer. Use your hands instead. We all listen to the Whitney Bow podcast, I think. We're all washing our faces like Neutrogena models there. I actually got a hot tip from one of you. Somebody DM me and they said you can get these towel scrunchies that you keep around your wrist and then it's much less messy to wash your face with your hands only. So I'm gonna try that and report back. But thus far, it hasn't been that bad. Dr. Bo is also really big on not wanting that squeaky scrubbed clean feeling on our face. Often that's a sign that we've cleaned too much and we're actually damaging our skin's barrier layer, which is so, so important. So I'm getting used to the less squeaky clean feeling, but I think it's really, really helped my skin. Number 13, adding fresh herbs to meals is one of the best ways to add flavor, veggies, and visual interest. We eat with our eyes to your plate. It's such a good hack for leftovers too. I feel like sometimes I'll look at my leftovers and they just look like a big brown blob, but then you add a fresh basil leaf on top and suddenly it's super beautiful. Herbs in general are just one of healthy eating's greatest hacks that nobody's talking about because they taste So good. They make everything feel more gourmet and more delicious, but they also have such a high nutrient content and so much bang for your buck in terms of therapeutic properties. So, literally, every time you make a meal, just look at it and be like, is there a fresh herb that I could put on top of this? So, if you make a stir fry, could you put some chives on top? If you make quiche, could you put some fresh thyme on top? I love basil on top of pasta. I'll often make a big batch of my way more veggies bolognese or my spicy cauliflower bolognese, and then I'll keep that in the fridge. And then when I'm reheating it throughout the week, I'll just add some basil on top. It makes it just feel so much more gourmet and so much more fresh, and it makes it look so much prettier too. Number 14, having positive beliefs about aging can make us live eight years longer. Look for positive aging role models. Notice all of the pervasive negative aging messages society subjects us to and try to combat them. This research is from the Dr. Becca Levy episode of the podcast, and it honestly blew my mind. And also, once you become aware of negative aging messages, you will realize they are everywhere. I was in a store the other day, and there was like a greeting card. Like, now that you're in your 30s, your back hurts all the time. And she literally talks about in the episode how if we attribute our back pain to the fact that we're getting older, we're less likely to heal from it than if we're like, it's because I was sitting weird the other day, or it's because I did a hard workout. She also talks about the importance of finding people who are positive aging role models. These are people who are living differently and talking about aging differently than so much of what you see on the internet. So not following these people on TikTok who are like, you hit 30 and your life is over. It's all downhill from there because it's not true Most of the people who inspire me the most in the world are people who hit their stride in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. And that makes sense because you have accumulated so much wisdom at that age. Obviously, there's so many different types of knowledge and wisdom, and we can have so many different things to contribute to the world at different ages. But the older that I get, the more I understand myself, the more I understand other people, the more I have empathy. Every single year, we're just building more experience, more knowledge. I feel like I have literally gotten better every single year of my life. And for what it's worth, I literally feel more physically attractive. I feel more fit. I have less pain in my body. I feel more self actualized than I ever have at any other age in my life. So if you need somebody out there to be like, it's not all downhill after 30, you can look at me. So be aware of the negative aging messages that we're getting, combat them in your head. It will literally add eight years to your life, which is wild and you'll feel better too. Like life doesn't end when you hit 30. Life doesn't end until your life actually ends. Every phase has new exciting opportunities and we're just doing ourselves a disservice to not embrace those. Number 15, the secret to taking a great photo is just to take 500 of them and delete 499. just facts. Even models that I've had on the podcast are just like take more photos. If you want to know how influencers get cute photos of themselves, it's because they take so many. If you're taking under 70 and you're like, I don't have a cute photo in here, that's not on you. That's just because you need to take more. If you stop me on a hike and you're like, oh, can you take my picture in front of this waterfall? I will take 50 photos of you in front of that waterfall and you'll be like, wow, that's a lot. But just delete the ones that aren't good. Keep the one that's good. Thank me later. Number 16, scalp scrubbers are an inexpensive way to boost blood flow to the scalp and support hair health, but use them before you shower when hair is dry versus in the shower to prevent breakage. These are these little silicone things. They have kind of spiky things at the end and you basically just use it to massage your scalp and it increases blood flow. It feels really good. It feels like what they do at the hair salon and you close your eyes and you're just like, I really hope I'm not making noises that are going to make anybody uncomfortable right now. But I used to use these in the shower. I feel like everybody I see online is using them in the shower. And when your hair is wet, it's more likely to break. It's far, far, far more fragile. So just give yourself your little scalp massage before you get into the shower instead of in the shower. You can just search scalp scrubber or head scrubber on Amazon. I think that the one that I bought was under $10. There's a ton of them. And then they also carry them at Sephora if you want to go and buy one in real life. Number 17, keeping a sweater in the car to wear to the grocery store will make your shopping experience infinitely more pleasant. I do not know why it took me so long in life to figure this out, but I've always hated going to the grocery store and I realize that it's because I'm so cold the whole time that I'm there. So now I just keep a sweater in my car, I put it on before I go inside, and the whole experience is just much more comfortable. Number 18, while the state of the world right now can make it feel scary to have kids, in reality, people have always lived through scary times. Having a child is an act of hope. It's a beautiful way of saying, I believe we can build a better world and a kick in the ass to actually do so. I always think about the fact that my parents really debated whether or not they should have me. It was the 80s. It was the Cold War. They were sure that we were on the brink of nuclear annihilation – And that obviously didn't happen, and I'm happy that I'm here. And I think having a child is such a personal decision, and there's so much that goes into it, but I don't think that the world is so scary right now should be the thing that dissuades people, or at least it's not going to be the thing that dissuades me. I think that it's a beautiful act of hope. I think it's something that can inspire us to create the future that we want to see And I also think that historically, things have often been really, really, really crappy. I think sometimes there's a tendency to look at the moment that we're in and be like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. Things have never been this bad before. But then you look back just a generation ago and we're at the Vietnam War, we're at World War II, we're at the Holocaust. You go back a little bit more, we're in the Great Depression. You go back a little bit more, we have plagues, we have wars, we have much, much shorter lifespans, and humankind has prevailed through all of that. So I think having a little bit of a broader historical perspective is really helpful. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I think one of the biggest misconceptions people have when I share SEED's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is that it's just a supplement for gut issues. Like you only need it if you're dealing with something like bloating or constipation. And while, yes, SEED is specifically formulated with strains that are amazing for supporting gut health, it's really about supporting your microbiome as a whole, which impacts your entire body. Basically, our bodies literally contain more microbes than human cells. We're literally more bacteria than we are human. When you start to wrap your head around that, it makes sense that influencing those bacterias would impact every single part of our body. They influence hormone health, skin health, mental health, immune health, and more. Beyond that, a ton of research shows that in addition to populating our bodies with well-researched strains, which seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic definitely does, we also need to feed the microbes that are already in our body, and that's where prebiotics come in. Prebiotics are the food that help good microbes thrive, and more and more science is showing just how important they are for our overall microbiome health. Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic is a symbiotic, which means it contains both pre and probiotics, and they basically pioneered this type of formulation. Beyond the science, Seed is just an amazing company. They're devoted to the planet. Your first shipment will have a glass jar, which you'll then refill with shipments that come in fully compostable packaging. They're also wildly committed to education and pushing the field of microbiome research forward. They're even running a number of studies that will impact the bacteria strains that we gravitate toward and how we use them to benefit our health in the future. I've noticed huge changes in my anxiety management, my skin, and my gut health since taking my seed DSO-1 daily symbiotic, and I get DMs from you guys truly on a daily basis about how it's helped with your mental health, migraines, chronic bloat, and more. And now they have a PDS-08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic so kids and teens can experience all of the amazing benefits too. If you would like to try Seed's DS-01 Daily Symbiotic or PDS-08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic for yourself, you can get 20% off your first month supply by going to seed.com slash daily dash symbiotic and using code LizMoody20. This is a special code that they gave me just for my birthday, and it is the biggest discount I've seen on Seed anywhere. So if you have been thinking about trying it, now is a perfect time. Again, that is code LizMoody20 on Seed.com. Number 19, the free sound baths that you can find online plus a good pair of headphones is one of the quickest ways to instantly transport yourself to a state of calm. I discovered this, I think, for flying this year or maybe it was just for meditating generally, but I discovered the Insight Timer app. It's a free app. You need to do the paid version if you want to download things. So if you're gonna be somewhere without service, like a flight, so I have the paid version, but I used it for free for months and it was great. And they have all of these meditations But the sound baths are a revelation. I put them on. I use my Bose headphones. I am obsessed with my Bose over-ear noise-canceling headphones. So it's such an immersive experience. And it just transports me. It gives me a feeling that is more like being in a zen spa than anything else on the planet. So when I fly now, I literally put the sound bath on. And I put my headphones on. And I'm walking through the airport in just this transported state. I'm kind of looking at everybody around me but it almost doesn't feel like I'm in the same world as them because I'm just in this zen, sound bath, super calm world. And they also have ones that are all the different waves. You can get the 528 hertz ones that have actually been shown to make your brain calmer. You can also find sound baths, I think on Spotify and YouTube, but it's my biggest life hack. I do it when I meditate now. I do it when I fly. I do it when I just want to take a bath and feel like I'm in a really beautiful spot and it makes the whole experience magical. Number 20 is a Zachism, so I want to make sure that he gets credit for this, but I asked him once if he thought that we were soulmates, and his answer really surprised me. So I'm just going to read number 20, which basically comes from his mouth. Soulmates aren't found, they're made. They're built in the hours and days of overcoming hardship, of belly laughing, of deep night conversations. Don't look for someone to come prepackaged. Look for someone that you're excited to build with. I just love this concept, and I love the idea that Zach and I have Become soulmates over the years, and that we're continuing to get to become even more of soulmates as time goes on. And I also think it just takes some of the pressure off of dating a little bit. It's less like, oh, I have to go meet my soulmate, and more like, is this somebody who could become a soulmate? Is this somebody I'm interested in? The belly laughs and the conversations and overcoming and going through the moments that make somebody a soulmate. Number 21. The DHA in self-tanner can lead to free radical damage that can prematurely age skin, save it for special occasions, and always use sunscreen with it. This is not meant to be fear-mongery at all, and I'm personally not going to completely cut self-tanner for my life, but this came out of the Dr. Whitney Bow episode. I was just like, is there any truth to this? And she was like, yes, there is definitely some research that shows that DHA, which is in all self-tanners, it's basically the... Thing in self-tanners that makes you turn tan. So it's the only ingredient that's basically impossible to eliminate regardless of what the rest of your formulation looks like. So what can we do? We can always, always, always use sunscreen when we use self-tanner. So I'm definitely gonna go that route. And then also we can move away from using self-tanner every single day maybe and save it for special occasions for if you have a wedding that you're gonna be photographed at a lot for me, though, it's also brought up this question for me of why do I think it's so beautiful to be tan? Is that a societal thing that I've been taught that? Can I just potentially use this as an opportunity to embrace the way my skin actually looks? I don't know. <laughs> we will see how that goes, but that's I'm kind of viewing it as a challenge for myself. And then if I use self-tanner, I'll definitely put sunscreen on any part of my skin that the self-tanner came in contact with. Number 22, this is the best hack ever, and I feel like not enough people are talking about this. Our mouth and gut microbiomes literally shift based on what we eat. So if you eat more sugar, you'll crave more sugar. If you eat more veggies, you'll crave more veggies. I find this particularly helpful when I'm trying to make any sort of dietary change. There was a period a while back where I just found myself eating so much sugar. It didn't feel good. I didn't feel great, but I was just mindlessly reaching for it. And what I told myself is that I'm perpetuating a cycle. I'm craving sugar because I'm eating sugar. But if I can disrupt that cycle and just eat a little bit less sugar, then I'll crave less. It kind of just helps to get through those earlier times when things are really hard. And conversely, on the flip side, if you're trying to eat more vegetables and you're like, oh, this sucks, this is super boring, this is not what I want to eat, I think telling yourself that your taste buds are actually going to change and your cravings are actually going to change on a microbial level by eating those vegetables can be motivating because you can see that light at the end of the tunnel. And trust me, this has worked for me. I used to hate vegetables. I absolutely hated them. And now I find myself going out to restaurants and wanting to order the salad on the menu or the really beautifully prepared broccoli or Brussels sprouts. I'm literally salivating thinking about these things, and I never thought I would be that person. So eat more veggies, and you will crave more veggies. This one kind of goes with the other shower hack that we talked about, but I like mentioning it because it is free. It takes seconds to do. It's just one of my favorite little hacks because you don't need to buy anything, and you don't need a ton of time to do it. So brush your hair before you shower. You'll distribute the conditioning oils from your scalp, and there will be less tangles to work out when hair is damp and prone to breakage. So just give it a quick brush before you shower. You can do your scalp massager if you want to do that. Shower as normal, and then there will just be so many less tangles when you're brushing it after the shower. Also, my hottest tip in the world get a wet brush. You can find them at most drugstores around the country. It's called Wet Brush, that's literally the brand. It helps your hair not break and just stay super healthy. It's wonderful. I had the really fancy hairbrushes for a while when I worked in editorial. I was like, oh, I need like a Mason Pearson brush. It's going to change my hair. And I got one and it was the most money I've ever spent on a hairbrush. And I like my wet brush, which is like $7. So much more. My hair looks so much shinier and healthier. And it has these really flexible bristles. So it helps it actually not break. I use it on wet hair. I use it on dry hair. I have one in my car. I have one in my bathroom. I just love them. Number 24, eye masks that press on your eyelids can disrupt REM sleep. Get a mask that leaves room for them to flutter. So I heard about this years ago. I feel like when those first eye masks came out that kind of looked like bras that you put over your eyes, people were talking about how they were for REM sleep and they were meant to help with REM sleep and all of that. But the thing that really cemented it for me was when I got my Aura ring, which is a tracker ring. It tracks your sleep. It tracks your activity levels. I love my Aura. It is one of my favorite things that I have ever owned. I think the only bad quote unquote thing about it is that it is on the more expensive side, but I think it looks so chic. I love the information that I get from it. I love getting to be my own scientist and seeing what actually impacts my sleep. Does blue light impact my sleep? Does sawning before bed impact my sleep? Does eating late impact my sleep? But the thing I found fascinating was I had this sleep mask that basically pressed down on my eyelid. It looks like a little falconer's hat and it wouldn't twist around and come off my eyes at night so I could actually get good sleep. And so I hadn't been using it when I had my aura because I was staying somewhere that had blackout blinds and I just didn't need it. But then one day I put it on and I checked my aura the next morning and I had like 18 minutes of REM sleep or something that was absolutely terrible. Usually I am up over an hour at a bare minimum. So you could very much see the effects of it. And I was like, okay, is this just a fluke? And then I tried it another night and same thing happened. I barely got any REM sleep. You could kind of see in the sleep tracker my body trying to dip into REM sleep and then it kind of jolting out of it, which was so interesting. And then I switched to something called the Monta Sleep Mask. It has that same sort of bra look, but it's designed in a way that's good for side sleepers. I think I have one called the Pro, which is specifically designed for side sleepers and to not come off your face at night. It looks... Less than cute. I don't know if it's called Manta because you look like a praying mantis, but I definitely feel rather bug like with it on. However, it is wildly effective. My REM sleep is back up to where I want it to be. I sleep super well, and Zach and I are nomading right now, so we don't really have that much control over how much light enters our room. Light is hugely important. They've studied this so much. There's really interesting sleep studies around people who are blocking all light, just getting better quality, longer lengths of sleep, more restorative sleep, all of that. So being able to block that light without pressing on your eyelids is really important. So just look for anything that's not pressing your eyelids down. You'll be good. I like the Manta, M-A-N-T-A. I like that one personally. Number 25, the best way to not be on your phone in bed is to plug it in in another room. Stop relying on willpower. We are literally not meant to have enough to resist that type of draw and instead make things that you want to do easier and make things that you want to avoid harder. This is just a fundamental law of habit making, but I ignored it for so many years. I was just like, it's fine. I'll put my phone on airplane mode. I'll be able to just get up and get out of bed. And then inevitably, every single morning, I'd reach for it. I'd reach for my phone. Even if I was just like, oh, I'm going to just check one quick thing. I'm just going to see if anybody text messaged me, anything like that. I would end up scrolling, laying in bed for hours. And it's already so hard for me, at least, to get out of bed in the morning. So adding more obstacles to my path there just pushes my entire day in a negative direction. And it, Feels so simple, but it is so effective. If your phone isn't there, you can't reach for it. It almost feels crazy looking back that I was relying on myself to have that willpower. It's so much easier to stick to habits if you make the things that you want to do easy. You always hear put your workout clothes out before you go to bed, or put healthy foods visible in your fridge and visible in your cabinets and make the things that you don't want to do harder. Feels so simple changes everything. Number 26, the research behind the power of fermented foods to transform health is impressive. This came out of a study that was published in Cell, which is one of the top peer-reviewed journals We talked about it in the Drew Ramsey episode about food and lifestyle hacks for depression, anxiety, and more. And then we talk about it in a little bit more depth in the Future of Gut Health episode. So if you're interested in a deeper dive into that study, I highly recommend you listen to those episodes. But I thought I would actually just share how I have been incorporating the fermented food into my diet. The number one way is fermented hot sauce. I often find this at the farmer's market, although more and more I'm finding it in the refrigerated aisle at grocery stores as well. It's usually next to the fun drinks area or where they'll put hummus or other types of fermented foods. It goes on everything. It makes scrambled eggs better. You can use it in a salad dressing. You can put it on a stir fry. I just put it on everything with abundance and then you're getting a fermented part of whatever that meal is. And then the other thing I'll do is I'll just take A fermented carrot, a sauerkraut, again, that has to be in the refrigerated section. If it's sauerkraut and it's in the pantry aisles, it's not fermented. It needs to be in the refrigerated section. So buy something from the refrigerated section that is fermented, and then I'll just eat it by the spoonful. Sometimes I find trying to figure out ways to incorporate it into a meal perfectly is more stressful than it is helpful. And just standing there and kind of eating it by the spoonful – is really delicious. It's really easy. Again, with the taste bud thing that we talked about, it was the kind of thing that I was like, oh, that's kind of weird at first. But I feel like as my microbiome has changed, I've actually come to crave it and really enjoy it. So I'll include it in meals when I can, but also I'll just eat it by the spoonful and it's really delicious Also, the Gut Shots from Farmhouse Culture, if you see those at the grocery store, just get them. They taste so good. They're the easiest way to incorporate fermented anything into your diet. It's just kind of the juice that's left over when you make sauerkraut or beets or any other fermented food, and it tastes absolutely delicious, and I'm seeing it more and more at grocery stores. So the Farmhouse Culture Gut Shots, highly, highly recommend. Number 27, going for micro walks outside throughout the day, less than five minute counts is an amazing science backed way to reset your focus, energy, and creativity throughout the day. I first heard about this in the Amishi Jaw podcast episode, the one that's all about focus that we talked about earlier. But then I started talking to more and more really successful people, people who were CEOs or incredible professors that have written all these books and done all of this world-shaking research. And they talked about how they incorporated these micro walks into their day. like They would go for a quick five-minute walk before they had an important meeting, before they were going to sit down and do a work sprint or things like that. So I was like, if they're doing it, there must be something going on here. And I tried it and I love it. If you want to look long distances away. I believe that stokes creativity. It's good for your eye health. It's just really restorative for your brain. So walk outside, look far distances away. And even if you just do a spin around the block, you'll notice a real difference in how you feel afterwards. Number 28, action is the best antidote to anxiety. Neuroscience shows that taking even the tiniest tangible steps makes a huge difference. So when you feel hopeless, depressed, or stuck, literally write down three things, however small, that you can do right now. Pick one and do it. This is an amalgamation of something that I've heard from a bunch of my podcast guests, which is just that fear and action have a really hard time living in the same place, which really resonates with me as a person who has struggled a lot with anxiety In anxiety, you're kind of living in this world that's inside your head. You're like, what if this happens? You're building narratives. You're picturing scenarios that don't actually necessarily exist in the reality that you're in. And I find that this practice does – a really helpful job of dropping me into the actual current moment. And it makes me feel empowered and it makes me feel grounded. It often makes me feel part of a community because again, living in that isolated place in your head can be really lonely because that world literally only exists for you in your head. And typically when you're taking action, that involves other people. So from so many perspectives, I find it really helpful. But then there's also a lot of science to show that it actually works on a neurological level. And I like that too. I like when there's really good science there because it just makes it easier to convince yourself to do the thing in the first place. So if you want more on that, I would listen to the Neuroscience of Anxiety episode, the Jamie Varin episode, or the recent episode with Britt Frank about how to stop being stuck. All three of them talk about an iteration of this concept. Number 29, your microbiome impacts not just your gut health, but the health of your entire body. Yes, caring for your microbiome will help address gut issues, but far more than that, it'll have a positive impact on the billions of microbes that affect your immune system, skin, dental health, and more. We kind of got into this in the Ask the Doctor Dental Health Edition where he talked about literally swishing prebiotics around his mouth in place of a mouthwash because he wanted to encourage that good bacteria to grow in his mouth, which I found really, really fascinating, whereas a lot of mouthwashes actually have ingredients that kill bacteria and have that antibacterial effect that we're all trying to avoid these days and soaps and things like that. So if you want more on that, go listen to that. But we really dove into it in the episode of the podcast with Eric Katz, who is the co-founder of Seed Health, which is the symbiotic that I am obsessed with, that I take all of the time. And the whole episode was about the microbiome. And it was just this huge unlock for me to realize that I was taking the Seed DSO-1 daily symbiotic, not just for my gut health, although it is formulated to do that it helps with constipation and bloating and elimination and it's formulated for all of those things. But Era really explained to me how our microbiome impacts our entire body. Those bacteria are in our skin. They're in our brains. and So it's impacting our mental health. They're in our mouth. So it's impacting our oral health. And beyond that, a lot of that is hubbed in the gut. So it completely changed my view of why I want to take care of my gut health, why I want to do things like eat prebiotic foods and try to minimize stress in my life as much as possible and take seeds, DSO-1, daily symbiotic, which – has transformed my gut health. But I also now think of the CDSO1 daily symbiotic as something that I take for my entire body, that I'm taking for my immune health, that I'm taking for my hormone health, that I'm taking for my mental health, which is so, so important for me. So I think thinking of our whole bodies as this biome, and Ara talks a lot in the episode about all of the biomes that exist in the world. And it's this really beautiful concept of how things work synergistically. And when we think of things as segmented and separate, it has really negative consequences. Like when you think about that in terms of the environment, and then when you think of that in terms of your terrain, of your environment, of your body, it starts to make a lot of sense. So I thought that was a really beautiful concept. And it was a huge unlock for me to be thinking of my body as this biome that I need to nurture and take care of for my overall health. Number 30, you will never remember that idea later, no matter how sure you are that it's unforgettable. Write everything down in your phone immediately and enjoy the reduced brain burden. For me, I have Notion for this. This is an app. You download it on your phone. You can also have it on your desktop. You have different categories for all of the different things in your life. So I have categories for movies and TV shows I want to watch. I have categories for healthcare providers that I hear about in cities that I might live in someday. I have categories for if I hear about a good restaurant that I want to try in different places. I'm going to open my Notion so I can tell you more of the categories I have because I literally feel like I have a Notion category for absolutely everything. I have categories for notes for therapy. I have categories for content notes for content that I want to create for my Instagram, for my TikTok. I have future podcast guests. I have everything on here. Every time I've told myself in the past, it's such a good idea. There's no way I can forget this. I guaranteed forget it. And also there's the mental burden of trying to keep track of all that stuff in your mind. The more I learn about how people who are at the absolute top of their field perform, the more I realize that they are offloading as much of that mental burden as possible. They're putting stuff in their phone. They're writing it down. They have organizational systems because – Holding space for all of those things in your brain is costing you energy. And the more you can reduce that energetic burden, the more energy you're going to have to do all of the things that actually matter to you far more than having a filing cabinet in your brain. Notion is the app. I love it. But you could also have a note on your phone, literally anything, just get it out of your brain. 31. Identities and values change over time. Constantly question your beliefs about others and yourself to avoid limiting growth. For me recently, this was this belief that I'm bad with money. And I kept saying it all the time. I'd say it to new people I would meet. I would say it to Zach. And then I was like, am I actually still bad, quote unquote, with money? What does it even mean to be bad with money? And saying that about myself constantly was taking away my power to learn about money or to make financial decisions that would benefit me. So I stopped saying it. And now I feel like I'm coming into my own in terms of a empowered human when it comes to financial things. And it's so interesting to me how we can do that to ourselves. We can do that to our partners. How many times have you been like, oh, my partner is this way because you filed that away in your brain 10 years ago, but you're not leaving room for all of the growth that they may have experienced over the past 10 years? How often do we do that with friends, with family members, with our parents, with our kids? I think it's so important to leave that room for growth, to encourage and to applaud that growth in others, in ourselves. And for me, I've found the best way to do that is to be just constantly questioning, is that still true? anytime you're making those assumptions. Number 32, you don't need to remember your childhood trauma to move past it. Sometimes it's more helpful to focus on what you're doing now than what happened then. This is something that Britt Frank said in the move through trauma episode, and it really resonated with me because I'm a person that has very limited memories of my childhood. I did experience my fair share, I guess, of childhood trauma, and I've always felt really... Limited in therapy when they're like, oh, well, like, how does this connect to this and this connect to this? And I'm like, I literally don't know. I could make up a memory to tell you, but I'm sure that wouldn't be helpful. And I feel like I'm failing at moving through my trauma or progressing or evolving into the person that I want to be. And Britt was like, you don't need to know what happened to figure out what comes next. And that was incredibly freeing for me. So she has a ton of exercises that help answer that question of what comes next, what should we do next. But I highly recommend listening to that episode, especially if you're a person who sits there in therapy and you're like, I don't know what happened when I was five or six or seven. I feel like I barely remember high school or college. I'm curious, you guys let me know if you remember your childhood or like what age your earliest concrete memories come from because I am curious sometimes if it's just me or if it's a more common thing. Number 33, if alcohol makes you feel uninhibited or fun, that person is inside of you already. Knowing those traits are already inherent to your personality can make it easier to cultivate letting them out without relying on substances. So I still drink. I call myself an intentional drinker, which means that I'm very thoughtful about the times that I do drink. I won't drink just because I'm out at a social event or I won't have a glass of wine or whatever every single night. I'm like, why do I want to drink right now? And if I want to drink, I have it. I pay attention to it. I savor it. I enjoy it. But it was crazy for me when I had the realization that the person that I was trying to drink to become already existed inside of me. The fact that alcohol was able to coax that person out meant that that person existed inside of me somewhere. And it meant that I could make that person come out in other ways. So for me, that looks like if I go to a party and I'm like, oh, I need like a drink to loosen up and to talk to people. I say, no, that person is inside of me already. I can be loose. I can dance. I can have fun. I can talk to people. I can be a witty conversationalist and probably honestly a wittier conversationalist than I would be if I had alcohol in my system, to be frank. Again, this doesn't mean that I don't drink, but it just means that I give myself permission to be the person that I think alcohol is making me. And I think that's so freeing to not be like, oh, I need a glass of wine to have fun drinking or I need a drink so that I can flirt on a date. You are that person already. You don't need the alcohol. Just give yourself permission to be that person. Number 34, we spend a lot of time focusing on the last 10% of our health while ignoring the 90% that makes up the foundation. Eat veggies, move your body, and connect with a community in some way daily before you stress out about all of the high-level optimization. I always think about this when people DM me and they're like, should I buy this thing organic? Or like, how do I eat out at a restaurant if they don't have green starters? Or what do I do if I can't afford all of the supplements? All of that stuff's great. Like, I love the green starters. I've talked about it in this episode. There are so many supplements that have absolutely changed my life. But sometimes I think that we focus too much on these little tiny tweaks that make up such a small percentage of our overall health when and forget about the basics, probably because they're not very easy to sell, so they're harder to market, I guess. But the basics are pretty agreed upon by researchers everywhere, by doctors everywhere. Add in more veggies. I have never – met a doctor who doesn't think that vegetables should be a core part of our diet, even if they disagree on other things, move your body. Even if people disagree on different types of exercise, every single person thinks we need to be getting more movement in our day. Any amount is good. Stand up and do five squats right now. Go for a quick walk. It doesn't have to be a huge hurdle. Just do something and connect with the community. There are so many studies that show the importance of it but often we just let it fall to the side. And nothing hurts my heart more than seeing somebody who doesn't want to go hang out with their friends because they're afraid there isn't going to be healthy enough food there, or they don't have time for the human connection because they're trying to do all these productivity hacks and get ahead in life in this way. The community part is not only so good for our health, it's good for our body on a physical level. It decreases our cortisol levels. It literally just has this cascade of positive body effects. It's good for our brains and it's so good for our souls. So I would just encourage you if you're trying to do these little nitpicky things, especially if you feel like they're really limiting your life, just take a step back and be like, do I have my basics covered? Because I promise you the basics are going to make a far bigger difference in how you feel on a day-to-day basis. Number 35, adding a pinch of mineral salt to water makes it way more hydrating. Mineral salt is basically like nature's electrolyte. You're just adding in all of the minerals that your body needs to have that water be beneficial on a cellular level. I like Redmond real salt. You can find it at most grocery stores. It's a mineral salt. It's pink. I like it because it has a slightly sweet flavor. It's the main salt that I cook with. I don't buy a special salt for this, but I just add a pinch to my water. I don't measure it. Your water shouldn't taste salty. It should just be a tiny pinch, stir it up, and drink it. You'll feel way more hydrated. I get DMs from you guys all the time. You say that you've tried it and you feel so much more hydrated. You can't believe the difference. So if you're skeptical, I highly recommend just trying just a little pinch. Any type of mineral or sea salt is good. Basically, you're looking for a salt that hasn't been processed to become just sodium chloride, but a salt that has all of the minerals intact in a balanced way. And you're going to add a pinch of that. To your salt and drink it, and I'm excited for you to feel the difference. And number 36, our last one. On your deathbed, you'll care 0% about what your body looked like during your life and 100% about what you did throughout your life. Your body is for living, not looking. Now go and live. You know this is one of my mantras. I say it to you. I say it to myself on a daily basis anytime I'm like, I don't know how I feel in this outfit. Who cares? Literally, who cares? I don't know if I should go to this hot spring, if I should go to this beach. I don't know how I feel in the bikini. You will never regret going to the beach. You will never regret going for the hike. You won't regret doing the things in your wonderful body that your body was designed to do because you were worried about how it looks. And it pains my heart. To think of all of us at the end of our lives looking back and thinking that we got in the way of one single second of experiencing this beautiful and limited time on earth that we have been given. So your body is for living, not looking I love you all. I really enjoyed spending this time with you. I hope you like this episode. I've never turned one of my birthday posts into a podcast episode, so I really hope that you enjoyed it. And I am excited for this year. I hope you love this episode. I always get really nervous doing solo episodes, so please let me know if you like this format, if you'd want to hear more solos in general from me, and what types of topics that you would want me to dive into. Definitely let me know what resonated over at, at Liz Moody on Instagram or on our new Healthier Together podcast Facebook group, which is popping and is such a great resource, whether you're looking for links from an episode or you want to share your thoughts or feelings. I will link that in the show notes so you can come and join the party. If you did love the episode, I would so appreciate if you would share it with someone you love who you think would benefit from one of the tips or tricks that I talked about. Sharing is the best way to support the podcast and it is so, so appreciated. And honestly, if we got my birthday episode trending on Spotify, well, I literally cannot think of a better present than that. That would be absolutely wild. So I don't know. Fingers crossed. Just putting it out into the universe. If you are new here, make sure that you hit that follow button so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We'll be back on Wednesday with an herbalist guide to getting great hair and beating burnout. And we also have amazing episodes about how to hack your own genes and build true resilience coming up. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. I also wanted to give a quick final thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Seed. If you're ready to start taking care of your microbiome so you can experience the many benefits that come from all of those trillions of bacteria being healthy and well-fed and thriving, head over to seed.com and use code LizMoody20 to get 20% off your first order. I literally just got sent a DM today from someone who said, actually, like, hang on, let me grab this to read it. Okay, she said, I was honestly skeptical when I started taking seed a few weeks ago, but the impact it's had on my anxiety has been transformative. A lot of times when I have gut issues, they lead to anxiety and then my anxiety leads to gut issues and it's just a terrible cycle. But since I started seed, I haven't had either. Like the cycle hasn't begun once in the last few weeks. Knock wood, but it's a huge deal. So thank you so much for sharing. As someone who personally struggles with anxiety, messages like this truly warm my heart and I am so glad that you guys are feeling a real difference in your life. Again, if you want to try Seed's dso one Daily Symbiotic or their PDS08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic, head over to Seed.com and use code LIZMOODY20. All right, that's it from me. I love you and I will see you on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. When Zach and I started Healthy Convoco, we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from, or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved, so checkout becomes a one click situation even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothies and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com/slash LizM, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/slash LizM now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash LizM.